I am Shirley Balani, an architect urban planner and have worked in the arena of urban planning and policy in many cities of India and on a wide array of projects. While I specialize in preparing statutory development plans, town planning schemes and area development plans, I have also led comprehensive mapping exercises for urban heritage, environmental features and public assets for many cities with precision. This talk is on the practice of land readjustment and land pooling in India. The talk is structured in two parts. The first part, uh, I will give a background to the practice of land readjustment and land pooling uh, internationally and in India. This is followed by a chronological enumeration of some of the recent efforts in land readjustment and land pooling in India. In the second part, I will focus on the town planning scheme mechanism as it is practiced in Gujarat its pros and cons, and will end with a few pointers to improve and expand the practice. I have been fortunate to have extensive hands-on experience in leading and preparing numerous town planning schemes for various cities in India, covering more than 150 square kilometers of area. This experience has given me the opportunity to encounter and deal with a wide variety of issues while implementing such projects. Cities across the world are grappling with the challenge of appropriating land for physical infrastructure, social amenities and public utilities. Traditionally, the city governments in India too have depended on land acquisition or eminent domain processes to acquire land for public purpose. While this method of appropriating land for public purpose worked well till about mid-90s, it is now getting very difficult for cities to appropriate land in this manner. As 1. The land prices have significantly risen, making it extremely expensive. 2. Urban land rents yield high incomes, making the process challenging. There is stiff opposition and hence the process is long drawn. And 3. After the introduction of right to fair compensation and transparency in Land Acquisition, Rehabilitation and Resettlement Act 2013, popularly known as the LAR 2013, that was brought to replace the Land Acquisition Act of 1894, enacted during British rule, all projects that involve land assembly have slowed down considerably. In contrast to this, some cities world over and in India have practiced land readjustment or land pooling as an alternative to appropriate land for public purpose. They have been able to appropriate land in a voluntary and a relatively painless manner as they have been able to transfer the benefits of land value increases in an equitable way amongst all landowners. However, it should be cautioned that even these processes do face impediments, take time and are far from perfect, particularly in the area of social safeguards for non-title landholders and unauthorized occupants. But as compared to land acquisition, land readjustment, land pooling certainly gains more traction and therefore there is a clear case for it to be expanded, extended and improved. Post-COVID, this is going to be more imperative than before. City governments will be crunched for resources and there will be an emphasis on land requirements for at least three kinds of infrastructure, open spaces, health and education. Now, what is land pooling or land readjustment? Land readjustment can be very simply or broadly defined as a mechanism for managing urban development whereby a public agency consolidates a group of land parcels for the unified planning, servicing and subdivision as a single estate, followed by redistribution of new building plots back to the original landowners. 
The return plots are smaller as some land is appropriated from each landowner towards providing roads, open spaces and amenities. There may be some land reserved for sale and there can be a levy of development charges to pay for development of infrastructure. The owners find this acceptable and appealing as the value of return land parcel though smaller is much higher. Further, there is a strong element of participation and consult, consent of landowners involved in the entire process. The local government's agencies find it attractive as costs for servicing urban land are recovered through the process of planning and more importantly achieve fair and equitable development. It becomes a win-win situation for both. Most forms of land readjustment and land pooling that are practiced at present have some or all of the above elements in varying degrees as defined in the respective legislative instruments and policies. Now let's uh, briefly dwell on the origins of the practice and its prevalence today. It is not easy to pinpoint clearly when the practice began, but it is suggested that the land readjustment has had two main roots. One to create uh, building areas by rezoning farmlands and to rebuild areas after disasters like fire or earthquakes. There are three well-documented experiences of land readjustment dating back to the 18th and 19th centuries. The first instant is in the USA in 1791 where President George Washington and 19 landowners uh, promoted an arrangement very similar to land readjustment to solve impasses in the development of a very large rural area into the new federal city. The second instance is from Spain in uh, 1861 during the planning and implementation process of a project named Example de Barcelona created by Edelfonso Serta. And the third instance is from Japan in 1870, where the farmers had developed a system to improve the productivity of their lands in Kobe after readjusting irregularly shaped parcels and eliminating small passages and paths between them, thus making them arable. Such arable land readjustment began to modernize agriculture in Japan and the Arable Land Readjustment Act was enacted in 1899 and was based on similar practices aiming to set replotting framework legally which involved transfer of ownerships and land registration. Meanwhile, the first legislation related to urban land readjustment in the world was enacted in Mainz or Germany in 1875. But it did not work in practice because 75% of the landowners had to apply uh, for the land readjustment process. It was Franz Edix, uh, mayor of Frankfurt, who started the first voluntary agreements with landowners in 1891 to reorganize the land structure of urban properties. In 1902, the law related to the transfer of lands in Frankfurt, known as Les Edix, uh, was enacted. It was compulsory process of land reorganization to counter the earlier old laws uh, that created extensively narrow lands and were difficult to use for development. The main idea of the process was to exchange lands between the government, the private sector, without requiring their expropriation. Japan translated the edX law and adapted it for the approval of its City Planning Act of 1990. Until this approval, there were many land readjustment projects based on the Arable Land Readjustment Act of 1899. In 1923, after the Great Kanto earthquake that destroyed the highly populated areas of Tokyo and Yokohama, the method and legislation were improved mainly to reconstruct the affected residential areas. 
Other countries following Japan's example started studying the German legislative framework to develop their own laws and apply rank readjustment in areas previously de- destroyed by natural disasters. United Kingdom, due to the strong British culture of taxation, property ownership, and private development, rejected the la- German land readjustment system in their planning laws. However, the British planners had an important role in spreading land readjustment uh, ideas to some British colonies during the first half of the 20th century, after the British town planning legislation was passed in 1909. In 1915, the mechanism was uh, implemented in British India in the Bombay, uh, through the Bombay Town Planning Act and applied in the states of Maharashtra and Gujarat, or then known as the Bombay Presidency. The British uh, also spread it in their other colonies, Palestine and Australia. The Japanese spread the mechanism to Taiwan, South Korea, etc. In the 1970s, World Bank and Japan, JICA, promoted the mechanism to many other countries. Though at some point the World Bank lost interest as the processes appeared uh, complicated, uh, involved social transformation, enactment of legislation, and there were difficulties in financing and many other institutional problems. JICA, however, continued to support land readjustment through conferences and providing technical assistance to countries, and this saw its expansion in the Southeast, uh, South Asian countries like Nepal, Bhutan, etc. As on today, the practice is prevalent in Germany, Japan, South Korea, uh, Australia, Nepal, Bhutan, Taiwan, Ethiopia, Thailand, Turkey, Russia, Angola, Chile, and India. Now let's look at the origins of practice in India and its status today. As mentioned earlier, the land readjustment in its modern avatar was introduced by the British in India. In 1915, the first Bombay Town Planning Act was enacted for Bombay Presidency, which was the erstwhile Maharashtra and Gujarat. The writing of the act is attributed to one Mr. Arthur Edward Merriams, who was then the consulting surveyor to the Bombay Presidency. In this act, it is defined as the Town Planning Scheme Mechanism, or the TPS in short. Interestingly, this act focused only on the Town Planning Scheme Mechanism and was enacted with the objective of improving areas. About 33 town planning schemes were prepared in Bombay, four in the island city in the areas of Elphinstone, Estate, uh, Manvi, and Mahim, 26 in the western suburbs on the areas of Bandra, Santa Cruz, Ville Parle, Andheri, Borivili, and Malad, and three in the eastern suburbs in Ghatkopar. The first town planning scheme was in Bandra in 1918. The town planning schemes were also prepared for many other towns in Maharashtra, namely Pune, Nasik, Nanded, Nagpur, etc. And today, uh, these are some of the finest areas uh, where the TP schemes were done. They are well planned with adequate roads, infrastructure, and have highland values. In Ahmedabad, the first town planning scheme was prepared for Jamalpur in 1925 on the eastern side of the city, and the first one across uh, River Sabarmati was in Ellis Bridge in 1945. Incidentally, the Parimal Garden created in this town planning scheme was a natural tala which was kind of expanded into a garden. With the passage of time, in the 1915 Act was replaced by the Bombay Town Planning Act 1954, wherein in view of the growth of the cities, the tune of development plan was introduced. The notion of planning comprehensively for the city was in by now. After India's independence in 1947, the states of Maharashtra and Gujarat remained as one state, the Bombay state, till about 1960. Post this, Maharashtra enacted its own planning legislation. 
the Maharashtra Town Planning and Urban Regional Development Act, MRTPA as it's called, 1966 and Gujarat enacted its own planning legislation, the Gujarat Town Planning and Urban Development Act or GTPUARA as it is known as. In both the acts, there are provisions to create larger planning areas around cities and towns and development plans are prepared for these. Further town planning scheme provisions were continued. Interestingly, the Madras Presidency also had a similar legislation. The Madras Town Planning Act 1920 with the same provision had the same provisions for preparing town planning schemes. It would be interesting to check out how town planning scheme mechanism was used in, in the South. Bombay ended up discontinuing the practice of town planning schemes after about 33 of them, mainly because in Bombay the areas were not so open. They was already built up there. Land records were difficult to collate and reconcile. Land valuation was uh, perceived to be very complicated. The process in general was felt to be very long and cumbersome and without dedicated officers, it took them very long to complete these schemes. The bureaucracy found land acquisition much easier at that point in time and planners came with concepts of TDR, accommodation, reservation, etc. to get land for roads and infrastructure. In Gujarat, though, the practice ran into bottlenecks by the late uh, 1980s, uh, but instead of giving it up, it was revamped to make it work much better. The long process was broken into stages so that implementation could start much earlier. The physical planning and financial aspects were separated. Some land was appropriated as land bank to finance the infrastructure in the schemes, and some land was appropriated for housing for poor. Gujarat also used the TP mechanism more creatively to implement its development plan and um, uh, implement special projects such as roads, creating large chunks of land for housing for poor, land for institutions, etc. and demonstrated that the mechanism could be leveraged in a number of ways to achieve a variety of objectives. So while Gujarat focused on improving the TPS mechanism, other cities in India continue to depend on land acquisition for implementing their development plans and acquiring land for developing amenities. The outcomes of such an approach are clear. Cities were unable to acquire vast amount of lands required. It was getting too expensive, but most critically, people resisted as it was not a fair way of development. People whose land was acquired were thrown out of the process of development and their neighbors benefited from the new roads and amenities that were developed on the acquired lands. So the people would object to any proposal in the development plan for a road or a reservation for an amenity if it was on their lands. Political influences too came into play. This meant that the approval of development plans took time. It resulted in cities not being able to implement roads, or infrastructure and amenities in time. And this led to the general perception, planning does not work and the planners do not know their job. They make plans that cannot be implemented and cities suffer. There were other approaches uh, that were being experimented in the country also. An interesting experiment was tried out in Pune, uh, which I'm referring to the famed Magarpatta case. In 1982, the development plan of Pune um, in this plan, the areas to the east of Pune were opened up for development. About 430 acres of land belonging to a particular community of farmers called the Magars uh, was here. Once the area was opened up for development, it would come under pressure of development and the developers would acquire lands, um, etc. 
Now, one of them, Mr. Satish Magar, who also happened to own a major portion of the land, about 138 acres, and was politically well-connected, uh, got the Magar community of farmers together to jointly develop the area as a modern township uh, themselves, so that the gains from the development could vest with them uh, perpetually. A company called the Magarpatta Township Development and Construction Company was set up, wherein the farmers owned shares. Mr. Satish Magar became the MD and led the development of the township on financially and environmentally sustainable development principles. The farmers being shareholders received dividends from the sales and lease revenues. Technically, this was not land readjustment, uh, but a stray example of how private landowners dealt with or rather defended themselves from the impacts of a traditional development plan. The government introduced uh, new forms of development, the township policies at this time. Almost every state in India introduced township policies. Uh, Maharashtra in 2006, Gujarat in 2007, Rajasthan in 2010, etc. These were to encourage private developers to assemble land and undertake large developments that would lead to supply of affordable housing. Typically, higher FSI was granted, zoning changes were conceded, and several approval processes were laid down, um, separate approval processes were laid down. However, they were burdened by too many criteria and high standards of development. Uh, with the result, after an initial response, there were no takers and the outcomes were hardly um, affordable supply of land as envisioned. A major experiment noteworthy of discussion at this point uh, would be the Grand Oasis land pooling scheme attempted in Amravati. Uh, that's the new, that was the proposed new capital of Andhra Pradesh. It is a different model of land pooling compared to the town planning scheme. The area of the new capital Amravati was about 217 square kilometers uh, and for this a special legislation was enacted, the Andhra Pradesh Capital Region Development Authority Act uh, in December 2014. A new planning authority was created and a new land pooling mechanism was defined in it. Since land was required to build the uh, new infrastructure befitting a capital of a new state, Andhra Pradesh, landowners were returned about 28 to 30% of their land as developed plots. This was largely based on the land tenure and the fertility status of the lands. They were also given a whole host of social benefits. Uh, there were loan waivers, annuity were paid to the landowners, there was healthcare um, um, pro um, projects in place and skill development, etc. The final plot sizes were standardized and the allotments were on a lottery basis. The whole land pooling was carried out at an unprecedented scale. All 217 square kilometers was planned simultaneously. This was personally driven by then the Chief Minister Mr. Naidu and a fantastic administrative machinery was put in place to ensure that the whole task was completed in time and well. But that in itself was a huge risk. Mr. Naidu lost power in 2019 and the new government announced that Andravati would no longer be the capital. With this, the fate of the master plan and all the land pooling schemes done uh, so far is not known. The process is complete. New final plots are allocated. Infrastructure is partly built. And with the announcement of the state government to not to go ahead with Amravati as the capital, the entire city today stands as a ghost town with disappointed landowners and farmers. The lesson is clear. Too large a project that was dependent on a political persona cannot work.
Any tool that has to work must be institutionalized at the local level and cannot be one of a kind experiment. At the same time, another approach to land readjustment was attempted in Maharashtra. In order to plan the area around the proposed new airport in Navi Mumbai, the Navi Mumbai Airport Influence Notified Area or NANA was created. SITCO was made the Special Planning Authority in 2013. Clearly, it had no resources to acquire any land around the area and hence came up with a voluntary land pooling scheme model, which is popularly called the Naila scheme. Land owners, developers could aggregate an area up to 50 hectares and come to the planning authority, which was SITCO in this case, for its planning and development. The area requirement was lowered to 10 hectares as they found no takers. It was difficult to aggregate large chunks of land by the private sector. The proposed model was 60-40, wherein the landowners had to surrender 40% of the land to the authority. 10% would be used for roads, 5% for amenities, 10% for open spaces, and 15% as a land bank to finance the project in addition to the betterment or development charges. Even this found no takers. Finally, in December 2014, the MRTP Act uh, was amended with respect to the TPS provisions. All the changes that were made in Gujarat to make the town planning scheme implemented were introduced. SITCO then attempted the traditional town planning scheme in 2018-19. It has by now done about seven town planning schemes. SITCO appropriates 60% of the land as partly the planning norms followed in Maharashtra are on a much higher side and a larger land bank is being appropriated to finance a better infrastructure. The Smart Cities is another venue, uh, avenue where uh, the town planning schemes are being attempted in Maharashtra. Nasik has undertaken a town planning scheme as a part of the area-based development intervention in a greenfield location. And uh, Nagpur unfortunately applied it in a brownfield area, so therefore it's running into a bit of a uh, spot. Maharashtra is also attempting a land pooling model based on Amravati land pooling scheme to develop 17 new towns in along the Bombay-Nagpur uh, expressway. Maharashtra is seeing a lot more innovation and experimentation with the land readjustment land pooling after having given it up years ago, despite the fact that it all began there. Finally, it would be appropriate to end with the last example, Delhi's land pooling policy. Delhi introduced uh, land pooling policy in 2015 after the LAR was introduced in 2013, as it meant uh, paying higher compensation and conducting uh, social impact assessments, etc. The policy identifies land pooling schemes for two sizes, uh, 20 hectares and above and between 2 hectares and uh, 20 hectares. The larger size land pooling schemes contribute 40% of the land to DDA and the smaller land pooling schemes contribute 50% land to DDA. DDA does not pay any compensation for this. DDA provides city level infrastructure and levies additional infrastructure charges. The land pooling schemes are to be developed or undertaken by the developers. Uh, DDA has created land pooling zones and people indicate their preference for the land pooling. Once there is a sufficient volume and a developer um, in the area is willing to take the land pooling, it can be taken up. The developer prepares the layout and hands over the pre-decided land component to the DDA. The, uh, there is higher land uh, FSI uh, given uh, in the land pooling scheme area, uh, about uh, 4, and 15% uh, of the land is to be reserved for economically weaker section housing. 
The developer has to manage the entire process, get consent from the landowners, prepare layout, allocate plots, collect charges from people and deposit them with DD, etc. Clearly, the process is heavily dependent on real estate developers, uh, which is not a mature sector yet here. The developers entail high financial risks, uh, people do not trust them and given the nature of the land component demanded by DD and the development charges, the price of the real estate would be high or on higher side. The manner in which the process is structured um, results in fragmented land pooling schemes and would not result in proper implementation of DDA's master plan. Despite the policy being in public domain for many years, um, there are no takers as yet. Earlier, CITCO had the same process, uh, that's the Naina scheme, which did not rectify and was given up. Land readjustment is also receiving a big thrust from the Ministry of Urban Development and Housing in India. A sub-scheme to undertake land readjustment uh, of the town planning schemes and local area plans uh, is introduced as a part of the Amrut Mission for 25 Smart Cities. As a part of this initiative, funds are provided to each city to prepare uh, one pilot town planning scheme and one pilot local area plan. Further training in the preparation of town planning schemes and local area plans was imparted to more than 400 planning officials from these cities at SEPT. It looks like the land pooling mechanism will increase in, uh, the, will increase in importance in the post-COVID times as the resource-strapped city governments rush to enhance their existing amenities and need more land to provide open spaces and health and educational facilities. With this, we come to the end of part one of this podcast and I thank you all for your time and patience for listening.